Welcome to Lay Film. This is our third episode, and today we will be reviewing Li Chengdong's Burning. And I'm your host, Richie, and here with me today are Tyler, Kevin, Patrick. And we're reviewing um, a film that's about a man named Zhang Su, and he meets this woman who he may have known in his past and he becomes infatuated with her. And she tells him she goes on a trip, she's gonna go on a trip to Africa. And when she comes back, she comes back with another man and Jung Su. Um, yeah, he, we get his perspective on who this person is and we take it from there. impression of this film and what do you think this film is about oh man well watching it the whole time honestly I would I was trying to figure that out the whole time <laughs> but I honestly think it's about like uh, ambiguity and like um, it kind of plays with expectations you know like it kind of tries to I think it tries to lead you one way and then it kind of like plays a joke on you and it it just makes you question everything at all times you know like you think you have it and you know what's going on and then it's not but then at the same time that same expectation or whatever you think is going to happen could still be happening I don't know if, if that makes sense you know right. yeah so that's that's pretty much what I took from it. I, I think that's a good point. Um, I'm gonna chime in on that. I think from what I've read, especially um, I read on Letterbox that the tagline says that the the truth is all in your head. So that really pairs up with what you're saying about like uh, one thing can happen and it can lead you to think that that's what's really happening, but at the same time, like something else could be true as well. Mm hmm. So. Patrick, what do you think? I'm uh, I fall into the category of the ambiguity of it all, mm -hmm. but I'm also I have like eyes wide shut levels of theories that are like no, this is definitive proof that this is this and this is this. I don't want to go into the details yet, but I see the ambiguity. But I'm pretty concrete and like <laughs> I think I know or I I've come to my conclusion despite that. Yeah, I, I like that the film doesn't make it easy for you to really come to a, like a concrete answer because um, yeah, it does leave you with all these burning questions. No pun intended, but like by the end of it, you, you're wondering like you have more questions than you do have answers. Oh, okay, so, it's not like it's not like a hundred percent yes locked in. But I'm like it's, in my heart, I'm very much like that's what happened. I could be wrong, but I'm like, to me, that's what happened until I'm proven otherwise. I don't care about the ambiguity of it all. Mm -hmm. I do. 
my core feeling overrides the ambiguity. Until so, I'm obviously proven so otherwise. Yes. Here. With the base. Not entirely. <laughs> it's the base. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of the base, and it's a bit of the mind. I'm like, no, alright. I think I'm seeing connections. I'm, it could be coincidence, but uh, something doesn't add up. And yeah, I guess I am shooting from the hip. Following that base. Kevin, what do you think? Um, I viewed it much as I would a dream because it's like when you, when you are, you know, in your waking life, things are continuing as is regardless of your attention to things. And the same can be said about when you're dreaming because when you dip into that ethereal aspect of your being you realize that there is a flow to everything and in regards to this movie it felt like jong Su was delving into that other side and whenever he would try to emerge from it it would conflict with his own reality and he would try to almost meld the two and which goes hand in hand with that with that ambiguity of it all because it's like just the way that everything is spoken of and shown to the viewer it's it's a swirling of the two senses um, one of waking life and one of one of which you aren't in control and you're just along for the ride of it all and I also agree with what Pat was saying, too, because I am certain that things did play out a certain way for certain reasons, but like what we've been talking about, there is that ambiguity aspect of it all where it kind of throws a monkey wrench into that theory, or at least in, at least in a rational sense. Um, but yeah, those, those are my feelings on it. So I, I like to preface that um, if you're listening to the podcast, the reason why we're being extremely vague and um, non-specific is because uh, I think the more we t talk about the film and its specifics, it's gonna. I think it's going to add certain expectations if you haven't seen the film yet and you want to know what it's about. So right now we're only going to talk about things not specifically but we are going to get into more in-depth and spoilers in a bit um, so we're just trying to get like our first impressions out right now and um, so yeah so just to give a little um, preface on that um, what were you guys' thoughts on the uh, the soundtrack it's very subtle I think I thought it was like that's like one of my favorite soundtracks to a to a film. Yeah, like I was getting some like some like Red Dead vibes. Did you guys <laughs> feel that at all? Yeah, just like the, and yeah, then like the little, like the little boom, boom, just like the little like mm -hmm. string guitar, uh, the Miles Davis oh, trumpet yeah. scene. Oh my gosh! <laughs> There's a yeah the Twilight scene. Mm. Yeah, so um. That was a very beautiful scene. I yeah, that. that'd be that a good that'd be a good lead in uh, for the for this episode of the pod. Oh yeah. Yes. That was. For, you guys thought that was beautiful. 
I thought so. I was deeply upset by that scene. Really? I think yeah. I know why you were too. I was deeply upset it's, by it, that scene. It was kind of like, I'm sure we'll talk about yeah, that. We, we, can, get, we can get into, into that later. In a bit, yeah. But I felt the same exact way. Like, mm-hmm. it's so, like at first I was infatuated by the beauty of it all. Like with the music and like with the openness. And then like, I was like, oh, wait a minute. No. No, no, no! Like, <laughs> I think I kind of know what you're talking about, um, but I still think it's a beautiful scene because it is very beautifully shot, and yeah. I think that that scene had a lot of depth to it. Um, with us getting to know the th- our three central characters better, Yishang um, Su, Jaime, and and Ben, and because um, at that point we hardly know anything about Ben. Uh, I mean, all three characters, in a sense, are very extremely mysterious, just like the story itself. But um, I think the most enigmatic figure of them all is Ben, because, you know, he, uh, Jaime comes back from Africa with this man, and we're in Zhang Su's perspective. And if you can see, like, you can see his expression from when he first met him, and then, like, his just his mannerisms and the way he like goes about things after that is you can tell he, um, there's something like boiling up inside that man and um, so we're on we're practically on his side at that point and we want to know more about Ben and we do get a bigger reveal about what he's about um, during that twilight scene so very very parasite I know this came before and even but I want to say isn't there a road there's a road in Parasite in this movie, the one yeah. in the Beverly Hills part. Mm-hmm. I kept seeing that. I'm like, oh, they're like, I wonder oh, how yeah. much they influenced right. Parasite following, as well as some other thematic stuff that's mm-hmm. touched upon. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that part. I, yeah, it did seem very um, familiar, I'd say. I, I just kind of like... And I watched a movie before Parasite, and, I, and this is like maybe my third or fourth time watching Burning, and I just... I absolutely forgot about that. But yeah, you bring up a, a good detail about that. This all, this all goes back to Gondam style. The true group. All <laughs> <laughs> social commentary about Korea. But no, I, I did, I really liked... I'm trying to think of the words. I do, I did enjoy... It seems like there's a definite commentary about the Western and Eastern... Mm-hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, clash. Clash, yes. The clash, clash. of the... Uh, Just the cultural, like, yeah. again, Ben, and the main character's name. Jong-Soo. Jong-Soo. Yeah, I forget it. I, f- I don't forget the name. I just, when I'm watching movies like that, when there's names I know I'm not going to be able to pronounce authentically, or mm-hmm. I just, I get them. I associate those words with the characters more so than I read what the word is, so I'm so easy to forget. Mm-hmm. That's interesting you bring up their name, too, because I, I did think about that, too. Like, Ben is not a Korean name, but then we have Jung-Soo and Jaime, who are uh, Korean names, and, um, they're, and they're all from different classes. And um, obviously, Jaime and Jung-Soo being on the um, working class end, whereas Ben is not. Um, <clears throat> uh, I also... Uh, watched some some videos on YouTube and one of the YouTubers I, I'm sorry I forgot the channel name but he explained that um, Ben's Korean and his dialect is like 
different from the other two. And the way he speaks Korean, I, uh, I forgot what verbatim he said about his dialect, but it's like, I guess it's more um, wonky, the way he speaks Korean, and it's more like maybe pretentious. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the fact that, yeah, we're not Korean, so like I wouldn't even have gotten that unless no. I did some research on my own. Um, so that says a little bit of something about Ben's character. Um, because a lot of it is just about expression. And like a lot of Steven Yoon's performance in Ben is just like the way he looks at people and just like his glances and even like his yawning or something is just like, what does that even mean, you know? Like what, can, what am I going to take away from what he's thinking? Like what is he thinking about? Yeah, and then I think in the first time they meet the three of them he drops the superior jeans line on the phone yeah with i think his mom mm -hmm. and she yeah, has right right as well as just a s physically looking different mm -hmm. i assume ben's character at the very least got a western education he went to university in america at, at the very least or right may even have dual citizenship yeah that's a good um yeah that's a good uh guess on that because i I, I do see that as well. Um, and I think that's done on purpose to have a, this actor who is well known in an American TV series um, that everyone knows about, and then he's going to be in this international film where he just speaks Korean <laughs> the whole movie. And he's probably the most notable like um, star on there in terms of like uh, Western audiences. It's good. Because whenever I recommend this movie to someone, I'm saying, hey, you should watch it because Steven Yeun from The Walking Dead is in it. I think there's no yeah. other, like, way for me to get people to watch it. And it's like, oh, yeah, everyone loves um, Steven Yeun on The Walking Dead. Like, he's one of the best characters on there. He's probably the best character, and he's in this film. So, yeah, that's a good point that you made there. So, um, any thoughts before we actually just segue right into spoilers? Do you think we should uh, say any more? Um, I say let's get right into it. Yeah. Okay, so if you guys have not seen the film, um, pause this section of the podcast right away. You watch the film and you come right back and you're going to listen to us and get into all the nitty-gritty details. Um, so yeah, I, I think this film is great. You should watch it, so come back here. So let's get right into it. I've been thinking a lot about just the paths that each of the characters have taken during this two and a half hour long movie that felt like almost like a combustion of um, like a massive f just fireball consuming everything and then it's gone, which is also like a recurring metaphor inside of the movie itself, like, with Ben's fascination with greenhouses and lighting them on fire. 
It's I remember that scene where um he was almost like implanting that idea inside of Jong Su um to go out there and, you know, actually live the life that Ben is fabricating. I genuinely believe Ben fabricated almost everything. Why do you say that? Because it's so apparent. He said that even in like the first time that he meets with Jong Su and uh, Jaime in the, I think it's in the cafe or where he says that, or Jong Su asks him what he does for a living. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, I don't think that you would understand because my line of work is very different from what you know. And he mentioned that um, he plays. That, yeah, that he plays. And it's like, what do you mean you play? Mm -hmm. It's like, I play. And it's like, even in just some of the su some of the subtlest scenes, you could just see Ben creating this narrative, almost to try and get Jong Su to write about Ben's life. Because um, once again, going back into that introductory cafe scene, um, when Ben asks Jong Su about, you know, he's like, "Well, you're a writer. Like, what do you write?" He says, oh, I haven't written anything yet. And then he's like, oh, you don't need to have written anything in order for you to be a writer. It's like, you should write about my life. Like, you should talk to me. I feel like you would want to know about my life. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's mm -hmm. the dinner scene when they first meet mm -hmm. and they went to go get some food. Yeah, yeah. And it's like from that point onward, that is Ben's entire core principle. Like, that is his one rule that he sets for his character inside of the entire story. And it's like, that's him playing his hand. He doesn't play any other moves besides that hand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with what he did to Jong Su's life, what he's done to uh, Jaime's life, and even probably countless other people's lives beforehand, this is just him moving from one place to another playing. Mm -hmm. Now, does he care about what happens to the people in the process? No, he doesn't. Why would he? All he does is play. That's his role in the universe. Mm -hmm. And everyone who gets caught in it, they're just a part of the game. I have a lot more thoughts about Jaime's thing. So you don't think that what Ben does is similar to what Jaime does? And that you said that Ben fabricates these ideas to get him to write, but don't you think that Jaime does something similar when she talks out the well and says, hey, well, I you think, probably don't remember, but... I think they're two completely different... I mean, two, two completely different intentions going into that fabrication. Mm -hmm. One of malevolence and one of benevolence. Mm -hmm. And I think that Ben is on the malevolent side of it all. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Jaime, she's simply... Even with... The, uh, the dance that she does. I think she does it, she mentions it three to four times in the movie. The first time with Jong Su, when they're, uh, after she gets off work in the very beginning of the movie, and they like go out and get some, I think it's- She does the pantomime. Yeah, she does the pantomime the of the tangerine, where if you, if you pretend that there's a tangerine in your hand, and you forget the notion that you're pretending, and you eat it, you can literally have a tangerine at any given moment of the day because you believe there's a tangerine in your hand. And she goes on to talk about this dance that is in, that's from, that originated from this tribe in Africa where they start off with, um, it's the small hunger. Yeah, where, little hunger and great hunger. Yeah, little hunger and great hunger. 
and she starts off dancing with her hands very low to the ground, signifying uh, people's hunger for food, for shelter, for like all of these very primitive needs. And then as they satiate that hunger, their hands eventually reach up towards the sky and become a big, become a great hunger, which is reaching for the stars and knowledge. And I think that that's ultimately what her intention is. She wants to constantly reach up towards the heavens to figure out or to satiate her great hunger. Whereas with Ben, he is not about that. He's the one who preys upon the people so who have that little hunger. I think so. Yes. <clears throat> I think that his, the only way to satiate Ben's little hunger is to consume those who have a, who have a great hunger, which is what he did to Jaime. And he is even in the process of doing to Jong Su, but uh, Jong Su yeah. doesn't have a hunger towards the great, he's somewhere in between little hunger and great hunger. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what I have to say. What do you guys think? I think... Jong Su was on his way to like search or trying to search for the great hunger, but Ben is one who like makes him slip up and like go off on a different path. Um, and yeah, it is very like manipulative, and he just I don't know. It was like like with the greenhouses and how he just like plants that idea in his mind, and he like just obsesses over it, you know, and it's like. I don't know, I would consider him searching when Jong Su is just, you know, running around all like looking at every greenhouse, I would consider that as like a little hunger. Um, Why would you say that? I don't know, because it just seems like he, because, you know, I feel like his great hunger was, you know, trying to find what he wanted to write for his novel and stuff like that. and. I just, I couldn't figure out why he was so, like, entranced and searching for this burnt-down greenhouse. Like, what did you, what did you guys think about that? Oh, I got, I got my, I got my conspiracy theory plots. Let's hear it. Alright, alright. So, the core, the core thing is what happens to Jaime. Jaime is the greenhouse, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Jaime's a greenhouse for sure. The nearby greenhouse that's burnt down. And like Ben says, the cops don't do anything about it because they're begging to be burnt down those greenhouses. Jaime had that great hunger and she clearly was pursuing it. This is go this goes back to that Twilight dance scene. Yeah. Where she seems to be in the moment and trying to find meaning or purpose or just an escape or Living in the moment right then and the dance and all that and the mm -hmm. camera purposely goes to the horizon and the tree I believe and it's like very that I think it's that moment is fleeting for Jaime. That's why she cries at the end. And the true eternal is the nature, the trees, the mountains, and the sky. So she has unsatiable great hunger and Ben does it's vague what happens to her, but he clearly for me is the reason for her absence. Mm -hmm. People drop lines later on. Uh, there's two big things for me. In her apartment, Jaime's, there's goddamn Dakota Fanning from Man on Fire on the fridge and on her dresser. Is that who that was? It's Dakota Fanning. Those are stills from the movie Man on Fire. Oh, wow. And uh, I don't want to get into the... Uh, we're all aware of the David Scott stuff, right? 
Uh, who, what's that? Is David Scott Ridley Scott's brother? Oh, are you talking about Tony Scott? Tony Scott, the one who <laughs> killed himself? Did he, did he kill himself? One of, the, one who, the, the Scott brother who directed Man on Fire yeah, killed himself. Tony Scott. And oh, he really? Was, he did yes. the Quentin Tarantino written film, right? Um, True Romance? I'm not I sure believe. about that. Yeah. I think. I'll look it up. Yeah, Ridley Scott definitely had a brother, though, and he yeah, died. Yes. Yeah. And it's not confirmed, but it's alleged. Yeah. That it, was, it was Tony Scott. Tony Scott, yeah. So the inclusion, well, the, the Dakota Fanny Man on Fire presence, this is where it's more conspiracy fringe stuff, where it's speculated that Dakota Fanny was preyed upon mm -hmm. while filming that movie. That's why Tony Scott killed himself, or it's, it's all inferred. It's not written down anywhere. Uh, he I also see. had psychological troubles at the time. And then there's also lines dropped by Jung Soon, the, mm -hmm. um, the main character. Mm -hmm. His own mother about organ harvesting and all that. So there's a couple, like, I don't know if they're red herrings or just... To me, they're more significant about something happened to Jaime and Ben's the cause of it. Mm -hmm. It could be this, it could be this. The details aren't concrete. Right. He did something. Jaime had that great hunger. He may <clears throat> get subsidence from taking that from people. Or, like he says, that's what he... Every two months he goes out and burns down a greenhouse. Mm -hmm. I think that's more... The greenhouses are actually young women or those who he entrances. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I think entrances the word. So, okay, so my question is, do you think Jaime knew already about what Ben does and she just accepted that? Because remember in the, that first dinner scene, she was talking about... Um, seeing that sunset and she starts to cry mm -hmm. and how she wants to disappear as if she never existed um, and then Ben chimes in and says you know it's funny how like people cry and like I've never shed a single tear um, and the, the only reason why I'm asking as like devil's advocate is because like she told Jung Soo that the first thing he ever said to her that she was ugly and then now she slept with him, and then she leaves and comes back with Ben. Don't you guys think that that's a bit of manipulative also? I mean, I, I don't, I feel like, I don't know if I 100% believe it myself, but I don't think that I completely believe that she's 100% a victim because of, like, the implications about how, like, oh, she wanted to leave from this world and, like, Oh, she's running away from debt anyway, and then she's having him feed a cat that he's never seen, and I mean, aren't there all these details that, from her end, it's, we, we are not completely sure either, and other people are even saying, oh, well, there's never been a well that, like, I don't know what you're talking about, there is no well, like, at her house, but then only his mother can confirm that, but nobody else can, and yeah. you guys all think that's a bit suspicious? I think she's a victim through and through. Yeah, same. I think, again, and even reference, I think there's a line where she admits that she doesn't know what a metaphor is. Mm -hmm. Where she could be... When, I, when that came up, right. along with the mentioning of the well, mm -hmm. I took that as, like, she could be speaking a metaphor. Mm -hmm. She could be, I was stuck in the bottom of a well, no one was reaching out to me, and then you, when we were in junior high, at least said something to me, even if it was rude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you did it again, though, mm -hmm. at the twilight. Yes. I, feel I like think that was, um, I'm just saying, I think that was like, it's a, like a callback 
so him calling her ugly and then him calling her a whore. Yeah. So I, that was ultimately the death of her right then and there was mm-hmm. when Jong Soo called her a whore. Like that was when there's no coming back. Cause I mean, Pat, you bring up a very good point where, you know, there are people like that who do, like, their whole existence is based through metaphor, where words are, words don't necessarily do their emotions justice when it comes to um, describing them in a very uh, calculated way. Mm-hmm. Um, so they conjure up this imagery inside of themselves and kind of like offer it to others in hopes that they get the same emotional resonance that they have when they think of this imagery. And I, I personally believe that she was also a victim too and that she was living her life hoping for the best but being dealt such emotional blows that it cripples her in a way. For instance, uh, not only when she describes, you know, falling into the well and nobody finding her besides Jong Su, it's like he's the only one that paid attention to her. And if we see that throughout the movie, even when she's long gone, like people notice that she's missing, but they aren't doing anything about it. And she or he's the only one that's genuinely searching for her in that well, which is why he's so obsessed with it, but he's, he's, too, he's too blind to realize how she needs to be found, or how she needed to be found, which was a, a genuine acknowledgement of the other person's identity, and understanding like how they felt, and I think that Jong Su has somewhat of a breakthrough when... Um, he visits Jaime's family's restaurant and he's asking them about the well and then he he ends up overexposing himself a little bit too much by going into detail about um, how she had been there for so long and like how he became encapsulated by how she felt and it's like if you had just realized that that is all she wanted from you you could have salvaged something like you could have been that person to find her in the well again, but this time for good. And to go back to the beginning of this all, I think that she is innocent because not only does she develop like these tricks in a way, like these 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 acts of pantomime and metaphor to console herself in a way to preserve that that innocence within from letting other people's like prey upon her. Like she does that with the tangerine. She does that by building up these, these uh, notions inside of her head that there is more to life, that, that it isn't just plain suffering. So she goes to Africa. And then when she comes back with this new knowledge, with um, you know, having seen the dance and, I don't know, just, just reaching for something and then coming back with something to show for it, um, like when we go into the scene with Ben and his friends and how they're kind of egging her on because they want to be entertained by her. So she doesn't even like think twice about like looking like a fool or anything. Like she genuinely allows herself to, once again, calling back to that Twilight scene, she gives in to that, 
pure essence of herself and isn't afraid of showing it. And that is such a childlike thing to do, like free of like emotional insecurity, free of um, the, the fear of vulnerability and all these things. It's she's just being herself. But then like, what do we see? We see Ben yawning as she's doing this and all the friends like their eyes are getting glossed over and like then once we skip to the twilight scene she's doing it again but this time in the comfort of her actual friends you know even if she was wounded beforehand here she is again doing it again and when jong su says that to her it, it's like her entire world shatters and she realizes that this is the end and I feel like that's why I felt so awful watching that scene is because here she is, like, she is peeling back these social constructs such as clothing, such as worrying about what other people think of you, um, all these things, and even, like, how women shouldn't get undressed in front of men, like how Jong Su says. She, she doesn't even think about that stuff because it doesn't matter. And... So she like gives into like this butterfly like flying up towards the sky to be free from these worldly constraints. And like a moth to a flame, she's incinerated. And Ben is that flame. And You don't think Jong Su filled that flame? I think Jong Su pushed her towards the flame by doing that. Mm -hmm. Instead of providing her with a, a safer light to go towards, one that wouldn't burn her upon touch. And that's, I mean, that's the way that I view this movie is Ben is the flame and he entrances the moths all around him to burn them for his own pleasure. Because to him, there is no right or wrong with that. That's just a flame being a flame, Fla you know, fire burns. And there's no way back from that. One moth has a knife at the very end. <laughs> what do you think about that, Tyler? Um, I think that's. I think you hit the nail on the head, honestly, with that theory. Um, there's just like a few tidbits that just make me question things, like whether. I, like the scene at the, okay so like when the ending scene why I just don't understand if if Ben if Ben knew what happened to Jaime why would he ever meet him in such a like the middle of nowhere random place and then he gets out the car and his voice and like his body language seems like he's, he's like where's Jaime I thought you were coming with Jaime and it seemed like he was so actually like he genuinely was wondering where she was so that was the only thing that made me think i'm like like what i was saying earlier like it just plays with your expectations and stuff to where i was like okay maybe maybe he wasn't a sociopath and a korean ted bundy because <laughs> right. um, and then that scene in the cafe where at the beginning of the film when jaime says she just wants to disappear it's like, yeah, she maybe she really did just disappear and just didn't tell anybody and wasn't murdered. Mm -hmm. So. I think you bring up a good point about 
Ben's reaction and his mannerisms at the end because because um, he also confirmed that I don't think Jaime went on a trip. I mean, he could have easily went there and right? yeah. clean up for her, pack up her things for her and then the luggage and then make it seem like, oh, yeah, she did go on a trip. You know, don't worry about it, Jiangsu. But on the other hand, like you're saying, Pat, like I'm thinking it's like every other thing that they show like kind of outweighs that, like the watch the um boil the boil that yeah. was i was like oh no yeah but that's yeah. it he took, uh, he took or, boil or it could have been a huge coincidence yeah that's that's because that's boil, thing, boil never shows up right yeah. remember when he was at the apartment he, See, he, he calls for boil but he calls boil though he warms up to him because and he's boil. been feeding him for a couple weeks yeah mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they are—they are petting each other, hanging out. It's, but, but yeah, it is like up, it's something True. so minuscule to where it's like, if you were to go to like court or whatever, like no, yeah, that doesn't prove that in That's court. Such a good point, you know. <laughs> and a pink, even if he had her watch, like oh, yeah. he. Well, uh, the the other dancer lady had the yeah, same. Yeah, she had watch. the same watch too, and he was looking at it when he was talking to her. But I thought, like this, towards the end to the scene where he's with the new girl. Earlier in the film, you see all like the bracelets and stuff, yeah, which trophies. are like trophies from his victims. They're, they're like offerings almost because. And you see the makeup, yeah. and you're like, "What the hell? What's for the makeup?" And then at the end, he's like, "It's just like a weird, like, uneasy scene of him just putting lipstick on that other girl's face." Where I'm like, "Okay, this is like his ritual he does for." She's loving it. Each victim, I felt like her reaction. Like it felt like she. I don't know. I don't know if she... Was she loving it? I don't know. I think it she was loving it. Her expression was weird because I was like, she seems like... She looks very vulnerable. Uncomfortable. Yeah. But then she had like... Yeah. It looked like a genuine smile at the same time. I, I, I took it as like the... Like, oh my... Like, because what? She's a dinner server? Ben seems to have a particular fascination with the working class young mm-hmm. woman yeah maybe vulnerable we don't know the new character enough right like, almost like he's transporting them or mm-hmm. sending them that's where yeah the human trafficking thing comes in for me or the whatever they're doing to him mm-hmm. or like a part of his thing is not seducing them but like they become so en- enveloped in him right or he- she's scared of it but i think this or she doesn't seem to be enjoying the makeup being put on her but i took it as like He's brainwashing them. Or she's just so blown away, like, holy hell, this upper-class Ben character took me into his home, and he seems to be fawning over me. I don't want this to end. I don't want to blow it. I'm scared of, like, is he actually caring about me? And then in the end, she closes her eyes, and she's, like, fully fully his, in a sense. I fear that... Yeah. Well, I think, for me, like, if... I'm just wondering if they all knew what he does, and like, if so, why even play into his hands, and like, why play into this idea that they're being controlled by him? Because I feel like he comes off in a way where he he's giving people, like, he's giving them a chance to think for themselves. Sure, he implants ideas, but like, it's up to them to figure out what they want to do with that. Um, He's like an observer. I mean, throughout the film, we see him just observing everyone. He observes Jung Soo. Even thinks Jung Soo is interesting. Um, he's even shown a, a, some, like a little bit of vulnerability as well. You know, in, in the beginning, saying he's never shed a tear, and that comes off sociopathic. But like, you know, he he just straight up admits that. 
I do want to um, get back to that uh -huh. with what Tyler said about the final part when he shows up saying, oh, where's Jaime? Jaime? Mm -hmm. That was very disingenuous to me. Why is that? Yeah, Maybe I'm, I have preconceived notions, but especially when it's right after that, mm -hmm. he shows up. I think Jung Su is the big character or the big, and whatever, I'm not, sh I'm so sold on there being a sociopathic arc for Ben where he, or ritual for Ben. Mm-hmm. Where so much so that his one moment where he does shed a tear, it's like Jung Su is the one to end his ritual and all that stuff, and he embraces him with the bloody hands and all that, and he's like he gets teared up. Mm -hmm. But he shows up, oh where's Jaime? Where's like you stupid country bum? Yeah, I think he, or whatever he's thinking of like what's he gonna say now? He's beneath me or I'm untouchable. Mm -hmm. and then he stabs him, so okay. Jung Jung Su? is the one, it's not the one, but he's, he's, he's overcome me, or I don't even know what he's feeling at the moment, but he's showing clear emotions. It could be as he's dying. Because Ben is, Jung is the one who's feeling the anger, I think. Yeah, I'm saying Ben, when he embraces uh, him, like, yeah, yeah. when you say he hasn't shed a tear, I think the only one to make him do that, make Ben do that, is Jung Soon. Did he yeah. shed a tear right there? Yeah, he, okay, he, I was, he, he definitely he, crying. He out was, there. but I just, I, it's not like yeah, see it. it's not like a clear yeah, his eyes are watery. Clear, yeah. 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 Where I took that as like that was the most sincere we've seen Ben. Mm -hmm. Where everything else seems like the surface level of what he allows. Because mm -hmm. I, I think that um Pat that makes a lot of sense because even during the scene where uh Jong Su and Hai Mi are over at his place and he's like cooking them food. He's like talking about how he views himself in, as like almost like a god, and how him making it or how the freedom to make his own meals, however he wants, the way he likes, and to enjoy them whenever he wants. It's almost like he's consuming his own offering. So when we do see that final scene with Jong Su seeing through this god and slaying them as they are, it's almost like. Ben's realization that he too is human, which is what he ultimately wanted to realize. Like he he was trying to like study people. Like I feel like that's ultimately yeah, that is ultimately what Ben did is he he wanted so badly to be human that he studied them and consumed them thinking that he could somehow gain some sort of humanity back inside of himself, but also like enjoying this demigod persona that he like built up in his own head only to have it be shattered in the end that he too is a greenhouse like he is Jong Su's greenhouse I think the director said that um, he approached his film as if like William Faulkner um, did this film and then like Ben is supposed to be like the Korean Gatsby or something um, yeah Gatsby's a huge presence in yeah this. they do and then, um, I, and this film is also a, a loose adaptation of a, a Japanese short story by, um, I forgot his first name, but Murakami. Murakami's story called um, Barn Burning. Um, I read that story actually because I, I wanted to see uh, which tidbits he was inspired from. I think this movie did a better job than the actual short story, but that's apples to oranges, but. Um, I just think that uh, Li Cheng Dong did a really great job of like expanding on that source material and then just 
doing something great with it. I don't know. He really knows how to mess with our heads. Like he knows how his audience is going to watch it, this movie, and like what kind of expectations they're gonna have. So I like that we have to speculate and come with our own truths, but like with one with like no certainty at all. Yeah, I did. So there is no smoking gun at all. I'm just going off strong emotions. Yeah. As well as, uh, I want to mention the calf thing, too. I thought yes. that played in for sure Yes, as well. let's talk about and that, please. Uh, Jung-Soo's dad in the trial and stuff, right? Yeah, I thought that was more, I thought his dad in the trial stuff was more backstory for Jung-Soo personally. Yeah. Like, the calf thing. I think the calf is introduced right after he reunites with Jaime and is I, intimate with her. That was I, fucking I heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. that little trial and the calf is like a parallel to Jung-Soo. I feel like Jung-Soo is like more like his dad than he thinks and I think the calf is maybe to me like supposed to be reminiscent of Jaime absolutely and mm -hmm. how he's giving Jaime away to me <laughs> yeah that was so, the saddest scene in the movie for me so that's why I'm finding it hard to believe with 100% certainty that Ben did something to Jaime because I think Jung Su, I don't know. I don't think he is as reliable as we think he is, as a as our protagonist. So, I think that whole calf thing and then um, the trial with his dad um, is explains a lot about his character because um, he probably has a similar disorder to his father, where his father is going to prison for. Um, for a crime for hurting another man, and he doesn't like defend himself. He's like, yep, he just accepts it. And I think that if something came down on Jung Su, the same about Ben, he's just like he can't go to trial and say, oh, look at all these details, look at this watch, look at you know all these things. Like, he has her cat. I don't think he's gonna say any of that because there's no way for him to prove it, and he'll just come off really crazy. And so I don't think there's any way for us to prove that either. All we can do is speculate, right? Yeah. So, I just believe that if it does go to trial, I mean, Jung Soo is pretty much guilty at this point. And we can't really say that Ben is, for certain. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm like, yeah, I think Kevin, you and Patrick both have really great points about Ben and how he, like, consumes these people, but... In what way? Is it all metaphorical as well? Because Ben speaks metaphorically as well, especially with the greenhouses. Um, and there's never a greenhouse to speak of that's burnt. But also, that can also be metaphorical for the women. But we don't know that for sure, right? Yeah. So, I'm just saying, like, Jung Soo has been just as unstable as the other two characters. Probably even more so. Yeah. Because... I mean, he's so oblivious to it all, which makes it all the more worse. Like, even what he does inside of Jaime's house, where... Oh, yeah. He's masturbating, looking at the, the, the tower, tower. Yeah, like to see the light. the light. I found that part to be so tragic, like... I mean, because here you have two people who have known each other their entire lives, and one... One obviously cares so much more about the other that she's willing to, like, initiate things forward and like 
actually put herself out on the line. And then, like, here they are being intimate with each other for the first time, and what does is, what is Jong-Su focus on? Like, he looks out the window up at the spires towards the, the higher class part of, of their city. And, like, every time he goes there, you know, feeding the cat while she's away, all he's doing is, like, pleasuring himself at, at, like to this notion of reaching, of being able to attain what he wants without actually wanting it. And I think that with what Pat was saying about the calf, that is, that to me is the core part of Jong Su's story. What he does with that calf. Because I think that had he just stayed on the farm and just kept doing what he was doing, steered clear of Ben and Jaime, he could have been, could have come out to be some sort of decent person in the end. But what does he do? He sells the calf. Like this, 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 this innocent life who is relying on him, who did not ask for any of this sort of thing. And here it's probably going to, well, it, it was sold off to possibly be butchered. And here we have yet another parallel. It's like, Jong Su is just another flame compared to the flame of Ben. Like, probably an unknowing one, a very naive one. And when the calf is being loaded up onto the platform, and then you hear the workers saying, they're like, oh, she's saying something. It's oh, like, yeah. And she's like crying out because she knows what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's like that was what Jaime was doing during her dance. She knew what was happening. And then they're both powerless to it all because of the constraints that are placed upon them. It's so... It's so damn tragic what people do to each other without even knowing at times. Hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't like Jong Su. I don't like him at all. Yeah. I think he's unredeemable in my eyes. Yeah, I like, um, I feel similarly. I mean, I feel bad for him too. Oh yeah, there's there's bound to be pity and compassion, but like, like if you don't if you don't prove yourself that you're actually trying to change, mm -hmm. you're just gonna go down this huge fucking rabbit hole of depravity and perversion and all these vices. I I just keep thinking about when he was um, looking around for all those greenhouses, mm -hmm. and then. Um, he tries to burn one of the greenhouses. You guys remember that? Yeah. So he tries to do that too. But like, also before that, after Ben tells him about his hobby, he has a dream about uh, burning, I don't know if he burned that greenhouse as a kid, but he sees a burning greenhouse and he looks at it and he's smiling. So like, what does that say about that was like, Su? I thought it was like a replacement for his nightmare. Mm -hmm. where he says he keeps having that repeating nightmare where his dad made him burn his mother's clothes when she left them. Mm -hmm. I thought it was like... So is he a sense of burning Jaime? Or he's, get, or he's getting something from Ben. He's getting like an escapism from Ben from that nightmare and like, oh, just... I don't feel emotions. I don't feel bad ever because I just go out and I let out steam by burning a greenhouse. And like mm -hmm. how successful my life is or even just that single dream alone would have a huge impact of, oh, I had the dream again where I'm a kid burning my mother's clothes, but instead of her clothes, it's a greenhouse on fire in front of me. 
That may be why he even, for a second, is like, oh shit, Jaime's missing. I can't find this greenhouse that he's saying he burnt down that was near my house. I'm, I, maybe just burn one will make me feel good. And then he snaps out of it and stops it real quick. So hold on. I'm a rational human being. Yeah. I gotta find clues or I don't know what he's searching for. I gotta find Jaime. Yeah, I like, I like that scene where he um, confronts Ben at the cafe and he asks him about the greenhouse and he said, I've been looking for them but I didn't see one burn down. And he's like, oh, well, you must not have been looking hard enough. It was very close, very close. And I'm like, dang, that's like... I don't know, I just love that scene. Like yeah. that, you just really... You, like, we needed to know too and we get there and it's just like, we don't get the answers, like... Like, every time somebody asks someone a question, like, or like when Jung Su asked um, Jaime, like, oh, do you want to be an actress? And she just doesn't even answer the question. She just says, oh, well, you know, pantomime is easy. Like, you just have to pretend that it's there, you know, and then it'll be true to you. Um, so that is, like, reoccurring in the film. Like, when somebody asks a question, they don't directly answer that question. They just, like, diverge from it. Um, so I thought that was very interesting that uh, that they've been doing that it's like a pattern in the film um, so we don't always get like the direct answers that we need like, yeah I think that's fascinating to me because we can only come up with our own answers um, and then we also hear like other people explain it to him too like oh, yeah, there, there wasn't a well, or, oh, Jaime had, you know, she was in, she was in debt, so, you know, maybe she ran away, or there are people that are after her, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought the actress that plays her was really great. I think it's her debut uh, feature film. Yeah, they're all great. Every actor's performance was so good. Yeah. Yeah, the three central characters. Mm -hmm. And the actor who plays Ben, I think I've only seen him in The Walking Dead, like season one, so it's, it's refreshing to see him he's, in a serious role. He's great, yeah. He's not just a guy with a baseball cap on, he's like, hey guys, yeah. I'm the spunky young, mm -hmm. I don't even know what his character was, it's been so long. He's very, um, he has a lot of depth to him in, in the show. I, um, I stopped watching one today, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> as I'm watching real fast too, but it's great to see him again. It's great to see him. Yeah, and like, oh, he's completely. He's, yeah, he's very. He he gets to break free from that and like show off his versatility as an actor. Mm -hmm. He's perfect. Then mm -hmm. the uh, final scene, though, I thought was just like some of the best acting ever by uh, Jong Soo. I don't remember the actor's name, but mm -hmm. it just felt so real. Like I felt like I felt like I actually like got just a slight glimpse of what it's like to like kill somebody <laughs> yeah it was such like a long almost, take it was yeah. like a probably almost a 10 minute take or a five minute take and he's just like shivering in the cold and he's like you can tell is like his breath is like like that's how you would breathe if you killed somebody like you're just like yeah you feel the bass in your heart or whatever and he's takes out he's just butt naked in his car and he's just like and he kind of comes to terms with it at the end and then it ends but I remember feeling like wow this is like 
this is what it feels like to kill somebody. I'm like, I don't want. I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> like, God, <laughs> that's, that just seems terrible. <laughs> like, hope this movie doesn't feel know, your right? your anger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to be a Gatsby. <laughs> Tyler's gonna be talking about greenhouses. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love the ambiguity, especially what Tyler mentioned, like the the rawness of the last scene. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, there's it's yeah. It was, I don't know. It was, it was tough. It was like it, again. It's not clear if Ben is even responsible at all. Mm-hmm. But like the way we're like Jung Su a lot, where we feel we I at least I concretely feel like he had something to do with it. Right. And uh, we also take into the fact that we're in his perspective, like maybe ninety five percent of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also um, did research and I noticed that. Um, Someone, uh, a YouTuber pointed out that in the movie, when they were shooting, like, like the way they framed the characters on the screen, um, in those last, like, five minutes when we get to see Ben do his thing, like, with the makeup and stuff, that was the first time that we're out of jung Su's perspective and we're just in Ben's perspective. So we never really, like, get to jump out from that until, like, that final portion. Mm-hmm. So their theory is that maybe... Shang Su, when he was writing for the first time in um, Jaime's apartment, that he was writing about either killing him, possibly, or that he was envisioning that. Because we never know what he's writing about. Mm-hmm. Like, the only time he ever written something was for um, for his dad. But oh, yeah, it, that, that petition. Yeah. yeah, but he also lied in that petition, too, saying like his dad is like a good man and stuff, and then everyone's like, he wasn't. He didn't talk to anyone, and he's just like rude and stuff, and it's just like... There are all these, like, little lies sprinkled out the film. Like, what what do we know that is actually true? Yeah. Yeah, he could have been. It could have all just been... You're right. He's kind of like an unreliable uh, narrator. narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was weird, too. He just, like... It was, like, the worst investigator for a missing person. Right. Like, didn't ask anybody, like... He's, like, banging, like, the downstairs neighbor had to, like, come up and, like, talk to him. It's like, why, you didn't think to, like, ask her, like, where she might have gone or... Yeah. And, yeah, he kind of just jumps to his own conclusions and just... It's like, why would you just kill him? Why won't you ask him or try and talk to him or something, you know? Get it out of him rather than just stabbing him. And why would he tell Ben that he's with Jaime then? If he had the feeling that he knew what Ben did to Jaime or if he speculated that why would he say that I think that would be disarming to Ben Mm -hmm. I think it'd be like but then wouldn't that make Ben not want to show up if he says I think he I think he has like a I think he'd be like oh what is he what the hell is he talking about does he have like a call girl he's pretending is Jaime like how much how much psychological trauma is he going through with Jaime missing if he is the one responsible for her going missing, and if not, he's just genuinely showing up, like, oh, wait, where are you guys? Because that's how it felt like to me when when he shows up and he's, like, genuine. Like, it seemed genuine, I think. Because we've seen how Ben acted before yeah. all that. He was very, like, I don't know, monotone in a way. He's it's just, so hard to tell, though. Like, I... an observer, like, matter of fact. But when he's like, oh, aren't you with Jaime? Like, where is she? I think Jaime... Well, if we're going back into speaking in metaphors, um, I think that that was Jong Su's way of creating like a living metaphor is by 
equating her to the knife. And what does he do? He uses that knife to slay Ben the way that potentially Ben may have slayed her. And then he discards the knife in the fire. And then as he's driving away, stripped naked, like the pure essence of his being, we see that huge flame consuming that entire portion of his life, like he's leaving it to ashes now. I don't know. It's all so strange to me. Like, the the Twilight scene, like, after, you know, Jaime uh, faints or... And she gets taken inside. Oh, yeah, she falls asleep. Y- yeah, she yeah. had a tendency to do that. Yeah, um... And then we're out on the front porch watching, you know, the sun completely disappear over the horizon now. And then we're sitting with Ben and Jong-Soo. And then it's kind of like a game of chess between the two. To which Jong-Soo tries to trump Ben by... By professing his love to... His love for, for Jaime. And Ben just... Up, he immediately, like, laughs in his face. And then, like... I remember my, my initial impression of that was... Okay, this guy obviously thinks that, like, Jiangsu doesn't stand a chance with, with Aimei. But then, part of me, like, starts to wonder now where it's like, what if Ben just thought that Jiangsu is delusional? So, it's, it's like how you guys were mentioning before, like, there's always that in-between area of, okay, we know this to be certain, but this is not certain. It's like, but these are the, mo- the most important things that we need to know linger in-between. Another scene that I thought was interesting is when he goes to, towards the end of the film, when he goes to see Ben in that cafe, and I think that's when he asks him, he's like, I looked for every greenhouse, I never found it. And then Ben's like, oh really, it's like right under your nose or whatever. And then the next scene, I'm pretty sure the next scene is when uh, jong Su wakes up on his couch, right? And he's in like, the the night. in the middle of the night. And he's, like, kind of distraught. So I thought for a second that, like, Ben kidnapped him or something. (laughs) But that's another... I feel like that, again, goes back to, like, the unreliable narrator. It's like, that could have just been a dream Mm -hmm. of him talking with Ben. Um, You know, so... like that. Or something like that, you know? I just thought it was a weird transition to go from that scene Mm -hmm. of Ben telling him, really, you couldn't find it? You know, it's like... It's very, very near, and then he wakes up, and he gets another phone call again, like he's been having the whole film, and I don't know, I just, yeah. What's the director's name again? Uh, Lee Chang Dong. Lee Chang Dong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought he did a great job of, again, like, playing with your expectations and you know, just keeping it very ambiguous. I think um, I think the director he approached this film very meticulously. Like um, he knew that no one would be able to watch this with certainty. Like I think it's too easy for us to really believe that Ben is just this serial killer. Because then, then why would he make the film like this then? But on that. I would still argue, I know maybe this is my pride holding on to the man on fire observation. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's a very great observation. 
but yeah, even with the premise of the movie, because when you when John Super returns to Jaime's apartment, those photos are gone. I think except for the one on the dresser, but the most prominent one's the one on the fridge. I'm gonna. I, I want to take a look at that again. That's I want to argue that's very in, intentional. That's my yeah, smoking gun. If there is, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past that. Yeah, I just I just have a hard time believing like why would he do this film the way he did it if it's just so easy to just make a thriller and just say oh it's about this man who gets revenge on this serial killer you know why why would he do it the way he did it and um, I heard that um, this is his first feature film that he's done in like the past eight years mm -hmm. so his last film was like in 2010 and then so it took him eight years to do this film so um, yeah I'm more interested in his work now because I heard he's really um, acclaimed director so um, yeah he just knows what he's doing and his writing in this film was great. I love the little hunger hunger aspect and the greenhouses and stuff. Like, yeah. um, the cinematography was amazing as well. Absolutely. Like yep. The uh, club scene was one of my favorite shots. Oh, yeah. It was all one take, right? Like I was just wondering, how, like, how did they do that? And then he's just sitting there smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Just in the crowd of dancers. Well, they're both like sitting there like next to each other for a second, you know. And Jaime is the only one who's like, looks like she's having a good time. And then uh, Jong Su kind of just sneaks away. But yeah. I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever come to a full conclusion on what actually happened. Like, that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Again, to, it's not just a typical thriller. It's very yeah. much like I'm. I'm I'm a bit guilty of like a what's the word, witch hunt or whatever it is, red scare, about Ben. I'm fully guilty of that. And the movie's making me reflect on that, but uh, mm -hmm. still pretty convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the, the, those things has happened, you know. Like, I guess, for instance, like the whole Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. Like, people were going on a witch hunt for him when they first heard about the domestic abuse, but then, like, and then, but then other recordings came out how she was abusing him, and he was just taking it. So now, like, people were canceling Johnny Depp, calling him an abuser, but then when, when it came out about how, like, she was the one doing it, some people came forward, but the people that were the hardest on Johnny Depp, I don't think they even came out and said, yeah, my bad, like, I should have waited. People were just like, no, it's obvious that it's there. Why can't you see it? But then, like, like you said, Kevin, about there's one side here and there's another side there, but what about all the in-between details? Like, no one wants to wait for that or, like, investigate. Um, they just want to come down to 100%, like, certainty, like, that's what's happening, but, like, we don't know for sure. Um, John Su John Su doesn't even go to the police. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's so... Yeah. That's yeah. what the dad in the part comes out, I think. It was like one but day. then what can this police even do, though? Sure, like, she's an adult. Like, she could have just really left. Or... See, but that that's also us projecting that. Yeah. It's like, the police are there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no... Like, what... What, like, what would he hardly, have to lose? To yeah, there's nothing the to lose. I don't think they would have done anything. But still, it's like, you need to at least check that box before you yeah. stab in a guy. That's yeah. why, that's another reason why I'm just like, 
I question Jung Su. Totally. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, other than the watch and the, the trophies, possible trophies, and, uh, and Boyle, and Boyle. Mm-hmm. like, there's nothing else really, I mean, and Ben is very, like, mysterious, but there's nothing concrete at all that suggests that he is a uh, serial killer or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. This so, movie would have pissed me off if Ben, <laughs> like, no... Even though it may not be true or not, I would have been like so upset if it was like a open ended or more open ended about what happens with them. I'm trying <laughs> to think of like uh, like, like I, the ended one like they both showed up and yeah. then just goes to credits. Like, yeah, the whole time or time made and cuts the black. I would have been pissed. <laughs> yeah, like, God damn, just wasted two and a half hours. At least it chose the side. Like, okay, Jong Su is either guilty or innocent or in the right, mm. and the viewers would like me agree that. Ben is a suspicious character, maybe, I don't know. But I think he did it. We're also either guilty or in the right. Where it's not completely safe and mm-hmm. as open as possible so everyone can interpret every way they want to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another scene I don't think we mentioned, but I like that part where um, when Jung Su confronted Ben at the cafe and then he sees him with another woman, like she comes down, and then when they go outside, and then Ben confesses to him, like, hey, you know, like, um, Jaime really thought of you as, like, a special friend. Like, she only really trusted you. She didn't have very many friends. Like, you're the person that she trusted the most. And he's like, and that made me jealous. And I've never been jealous before. I just thought that was, like, a great scene. Like, a really great tidbit. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that was another, like, red flag where it's a bit of the sociopath begging to be caught so begging yeah, to be found out that. especially in front of the new girl so all uh, that yeah that Jaime she, she cares very de- deeply about you and that made me jealous in front of new potential girlfriend mm-hmm. or it's, I thought it was like a big like it like shows a, it's a vulnerability play yeah like being like hey you had the upper hand or just even like Jaime really cared about you Where's Jaime at? Chungsu, where's she at? Don't you want to look a little more? Don't you want to follow I mean, me when I'm Jung- looking for the greenhouses? Chungsu wasn't really like, really that assertive. No, yeah. He just when he when he sees Ben, he's just kind of like plays really passively and like he could have taken her home that first night uh, after they had dinner, and he was taking out the, the luggage from his truck and he gave it to Ben and then Oh the Porsche. And then yeah, and then she stood there and then She wanted to go with Yeah, him. she wanted to go with Jong Su, but then he's just like, uh no, I'm I'm out of the way anyway. Yeah. Uh, but that's movies. You gotta have lapses in communication or else there's no conflict. If she was like, Oh you're you're dancing yeah, like right. a whore, if she was the turn like, why would you say something so hurtful to me? Don't you know I care about you? And I'll give this Let's Let's fix that up. No, there won't be following drama. Just like the Porsche thing of like, he should have gone. Do you want to drive in a Porsche? It's pretty neat. I'd want to yeah. drive in a Porsche if I had the opportunity. You may never get one yeah. again. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll hop in it then. He won't. <laughs> then I won't feel insecure because I asked her, and she's expressed like, oh, I'll ride the Porsche. Hell I yeah. Think, I don't think she even cared though about like whether the Porsche or the truck. And they're yeah. both like characters in the film. Like they're they're cars. Yeah. I forgot what um. The, um what Lee Ching Dong said about the Porsche, but he said it's symbolic of Ben's character and how, like, Shang Su hates him because he has a Porsche. Yeah, it's That's like, it. 
rich West, versus poor, yeah. urban versus rural. Or is Porsche from Italy? It's a Western car. I'm not sure about that, but I know yeah. it's not from Korea. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that definitely goes into what you said. Like Ben may have been grown up in in the West or influenced by that. Or just about the whole. I I know. I only have a somewhat vague knowledge of Korea, but I know again like the Catholic Church present scene. Mm-hmm. Has Ben attending that Catholic Church? I think so. It's very like post his family. Yeah, it's very like post war mm-hmm. westernization of Korea. Where Jung Soo he's on the rural border of North Korea. Yeah. He's very not that. Where Ben is very that. He's very his lighter complexion. He has a different he has a slightly different dialect than maybe I'm I'm not familiar enough with the westernness. Right. He goes to a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. drives a foreign car and all the other stuff where I can see it's a clear commentary about the uh, white centric view of media or even society values yeah he was listening to um, I think it was the TV or the radio oh yeah the Trump on with Trump there mm-hmm. yeah as well as talking about the unemployment issues in mm-hmm. Korea itself even the plastic surgery the rampant plastic surgery that oh yeah I may had gotten plastic surgery to become attractive that's what yeah. she says when they first meet again, I think. Yeah. With, like, the sleek aqualine nose and, like, mm-hmm. everything. Like, they, they drastically alter their appearances just because of what the media feeds them. And you just see the complete stark contrast between even the way that Jong Su looks with Ben. <laughs> like, it's so, it's so blatant. Like, it's hard not to compare this movie with Parasite. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, out of, like, the few movies that I've seen from South Korea that deals with um, those cultural aspects there, I feel like this movie tackles it in a much more psychological way. Like, it, it, it places you inside of that environment without putting... It, it's not as in-your-face about it as Parasite was, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is more... I find myself to be more impressionable in this viewing of, of burning as opposed to parasite because I, I see what the effects would have on my own mindset had I been in Jong Su's shoes or Ben's shoes or Jaime's shoes. Um, it's like there's such a clear distinction between how uh, how the lower class is treated, even with with Jong Su's father. Like nobody cares. That he's going to prison. And, like, he even, like, looks out at Jong Su during the, the court trial as, like, the, you know, these upper-class figures are looking down on him, you know, uh, imparting justice onto him. And he just knows that there's no hope. Like, there's no fight, which is why he yeah. doesn't even, like, write an apology like he's, re- like he's recommended to do. Um, <laughs> I like that he just walks... He just gets up and walks away, just like how, what he did with... Um trying to get that new job mm-hmm. and then they ask him uh, so number four what, what's your name and then he just like oh yeah Jong Su mm-hmm. yeah and he just yeah. gets him walks away just like he did at the trial yeah Jong Su has a way of favoring passivity over activity for sure because it's like he I feel like once he gets up to that precipice of if he is going to uh, overcome the crux of it like, he doesn't want to, to overcome it. Like, almost, like 
referring back to that scene of him looking out at the spires through Jaime's uh, room, what would he do if he got it? Like, fantasy achieved doesn't necessarily equate to the pleasure that you receive as you're imagining the fantasy. And I feel like had Jong-soo actually gone through with this new job, he would have been one step closer to his fantasy, which he didn't like. Or it, it instilled some sort of fear in him that caused him to reproach it. I don't know. It's very strange. Like, that sort of mindset of um, creating those, that sort of... What's the word? Um, hmm. It's almost like brainwashing people in a way to be like, hey, this is your worth. You have to stay here. You cannot come up here because we tell you you can't. Or these things are in place where you have to be this, this tall in order to ride. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, I felt like this, this movie made me feel more aware of the classicism that exists in societies compared to some of the other movies I've seen that, de that deal with the same topic. Because it's more visceral, and I think that that has a stronger impression on myself. Yeah. I think both films, Burning and Parasite, did what they wanted to do, um, blending genres and just making us think about the themes that they're trying to tell us and how it's still relevant, no matter how different our cultures are. It's still happening to us today. You know? It feels real. Yeah. It feels way too real, like holding a mirror up to society. Damn. Yeah. Any uh, closing thoughts? Uh, I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. I liked it too. Yeah. It was like a little slow for me, like a little, a little like I like a slow movie, but I think after talking about it after I now enjoyed it more during the film as I was watching it, I was kind of just like, man, like I just couldn't figure it out. So I was like, not frustrated, but just like, what's going on here? But I still really enjoyed it. Um, and I really, I've only seen, I've, just this and Parasite, I think are the only South Korean films I've seen, but now I'm like, I just, yeah, I want to keep checking out more of, more of that, those types of films. Are we doing a Memories of Murder for next week? <laughs> we could. Yeah, I think that's another film that also... Or at some point, at least. Yeah mystery and ambiguity to it as well a lot of classism too yeah I, I think it approaches those themes just like the uh, burning and parasite does um yeah um tyler are you thinking of a movie or wait whose turn is it is it, is it my turn yeah. yeah oh man i mean i'm down but maybe we uh three yeah. korean movies have it, have, it be a, have it be a surprise yeah, I was gonna say maybe we do something else just because if that's like on the same lines as this, then maybe we we try and go off on like a different type of subject. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Um, well, we can think about it too and yeah, see how we feel afterwards. 
Like, what movie do you want us to see that yeah. we may yeah, not have seen already? See yeah, like what movie has like left such an impression on you or something oh, that you've man. been wanting to see? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Okay. It'll be a surprise. It'll be a surprise. Awesome. I need yeah. a second for that. All right. Well, um, thank you all for tuning in and our Le Film podcast. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed us talking about burning. Um, I think it's. I really loved our discussion. I think there. I think this film can just be talked about for days. Honestly, I don't. Seriously. I think, yeah. <laughs> Very think, underrated. Yes. It's just on Netflix sitting there. Right. Not getting its due. Mm-hmm. Yes, watch it on Netflix while it's still available to stream. Um, and yeah, uh, stay uh, stay tuned for our next episode as um, Tyler is going to pick our next film. Um, so yeah, uh, see you later. Um, my name's Richie, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. This is Tyler. Stay classy. <laughs> right. Later on. This is Patrick. Go watch Burning <laughs> if you have it. Alright, see ya. See ya. Thank you.